Our World Without Wires is a wireless power podcast created to spark conversation, share stories, and educate the public on the future of wireless charging. Each podcast episode explores one key question in or adjacent to the wireless power space. Guests include wireless power industry experts, engineers, product designers, and technology leaders engaging in casual chats on compelling subjects. Our World Without Wires takes a lighthearted tone that is accessible to everyone, even while addressing highly technical topics. Join us and learn how you can live in an unwired world. Today on our World Without Wires, Sanjay welcomes DRC Neal as our guest. DRC is on a mission to make EV charging accessible to everyone. Formerly working at NASA and the Department of Labor, he is a fourth-year doctoral candidate at The Ohio State University in English and Disability Studies. Born with cerebral palsy, DRC has lived his life in a wheelchair, but it doesn't define who he is. Today, as a professional storyteller, he works to tell stories of the Afrofantasmic, or Black disabled people, who exist as families within the community. Most importantly, he believes that the future can and should be accessible to everyone, not just the able-bodied. And wireless power has an important part to play. It's going to be a great conversation. So welcome, DRC, to our world without wires. Glad to have you here. Uh, and before we even get started, uh, DRC, I would love to share with our listeners your background. You have such an interesting uh, personal story to share with us. Um, yeah, I mean, I can I can talk a little bit about that. So uh, my name is uh, DRC Charrington Neal, and I am a fourth year PhD candidate at the Ohio State University in uh, English and Disability Studies, and uh, I do a lot of work in thinking about language around um, invisibility and, you know, like what it means to be um, intersectionally both Black and disabled at the same time. Thank you, DRC, for sharing that. So talk to me about your interest in technology and how you've been working tirelessly to make sure that technology can serve, you know, what I would like to say, differently abled people. I think I think that's been your mission in life thus far. Um, yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's it's been a very long road. Um, you know, as a person who was born with cerebral palsy, uh, you know, I think that a lot of people have the wrong idea about you know what it is to be disabled, and that comes from a lot of different places historically and uh, rhetorically, you know, the, the way that we actually talk about people with disabilities, you know, immediately people have this conversation of like, it means lesser or less than or, you know, unvalued. And, you know, the thing is, is that if you tell somebody that long enough, they begin to believe it. And so, you know, I'm really glad that my parents from day one <laughs> were basically like, we don't even want to talk about that. And they actually, you know, it's a story my mom talks about all the time. She didn't even say the were disabled. I never heard it in my house. It came from outside of my house when I was eight by uh, a neighbor down the street who asked me, you know, why I was handicapped and I didn't even know what the hell she was talking about because I'd never heard it. And so I went home and asked my mother and my mother was furious and, you know, went back outside to that girl's house and knocked on her door and told her mother, like, you need to watch what your child says to mine. Uh, because they were very adamant about like, you know, we don't, as a black person, like you already, you already get told that life is going to be more difficult than it should be. And then as a disabled person on top of it, that just makes it harder. And so for me, you know, as growing up as what people call the el an elder millennial, which is hilarious. And all of these words that people seem to throw around 
for age. I'm like the last generation of people who knew what it was before the advent of the internet, before the advent of technology, before all of the computerized everything took over. And so I think people have a view about technology that like in academia, we say, it's fetishistic, meaning that like people are obsessed with it and they, you know, everybody pushes toward technology as though it's gonna make everything in their life immediately easier without the consequences of what that means. And so in relation to disability, it's like, you know, technology for me isn't just a means to an end. Like it, it isn't just something to make people's lives easier. It's actually designed to give people who don't have um, a good quality of life a better one. And mm-hmm. I think that th- there's a huge difference between the way the technology is seen on both sides, like non-disabled versus disabled people. And so, yeah, what I've been doing primarily is trying to bridge the gap between those two things. I do a lot of work in digital media and disability to try to bring those two sides together because, you know, technology is for a lot of disabled people, it's what makes their life actually possible in ways that it wasn't before. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you, DRC, right? And, you know, uh, it's such a noble and uplifting mission at the end, right? There are lots of people like you. And I think something in our last conversation that we had that that stuck with me is we will all become disabled or lose some faculties or become differently able than we are at some stage of our lives or another, right? So this is not, this uh, your mission and what you're doing impacts all of us. So tell me a little bit about how you got interested in wireless power and, and, and how wireless power is personally helping you and give you more freedom to live your life? Well, I mean, I I got involved uh, with, you know, the whole concept of, you know, everybody was talking about driving cars and what that was gonna look like. And several years ago, I was involved with, basically they're like a consulting group who was trying to uh, make a pitch to General Motors um, to convince General Motors that they needed to invest more money and more time in autonomous technology. And the group of people was comprised of all people with disabilities from varying backgrounds. And the point was basically that since America is car culture and it's, you know, it's weird having lived in this country, you know, I don't even think that people in America understand it. We are so obsessed with car culture that it doesn't seem weird. You know, I only started learning to drive two years ago. And so for me, everything is very new. And when somebody says, I'm gonna drive like two hours in one direction to go from one place to another, two hours is ridiculously long. But everybody's (laughs) like, oh yeah, that's nothing. You know, yeah, I'll just just do that. And it's just kind of like, but that's car culture because America is so used to it. Whereas in Europe, two hours will take you to another country. Um, And so it just just kind of depends. And I think that, you know, that was how, like I was looking at it and I, I approached it from the question of like, well, you know, if I'm gonna get involved with, you know, this kind of car culture, you know, like, what does that look like for me? And so when I was looking for cars, I picked up an electric car thinking that um, it was gonna be easier for me as a disabled person to not have to go to the gas station every five seconds. Um, cause it's weird. Cause even though they give you numbers to say, if you have a mobility impairment to call in the station, um, but they don't really want to help. You know, it's weird because every single time you call, I feel like people, you know, they're just like, oh, I have to leave my desk now to like come and help you. And for me, yeah. it's it, that's just as annoying as like being on the bus, uh, which is what made me get the car in the first place. And so, you know, basically I was looking at it from the perspective of like, 
you know, how can I utilize all this new technology that we have to make my going from point A to point B easier? And this comes from after having electric wheelchairs and I've had hand bikes and I have, I have a wheelchair with a Bluetooth motorized attachment on the back, which basically um, is wonderful, um, but it's super expensive. It was $14,000 and it's like, wow. it's a wheel that just kind of propels the chair. But I'm like, most people cannot afford this. Like durable medical goods are ridiculously expensive and people have no idea about that. So like I said, for me, it was a, it's a mixture between trying to make my own life better, but also making sure that like, I don't get so, you know, lost in it that I forget who I was beforehand because I definitely don't want to be one of the, um, you know, one of those Americans who's just like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't use public transit anymore. You know, that's for poor people, which is what I think that we do in the States quite a lot. So so back to, you know, and that's a really interesting story and an interesting perspective. And so talk to me about how wireless charging for vehicles will impact you personally and, and your experience and change the experience of driving a car and maintaining a car. Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult to kind of put in the word. The thing about ableism, so a lot of people... I went into a room full of doctors several years ago, it was 400 doctors at GW, huge medical hospital in Washington, DC. And I asked them the first, I was invited to come speak. And the first thing I asked them was, who here in this room ha has heard of the word ableism? And nobody raised their hand. And that right there is a problem because y'all are all the future doctors of America. You are all the ones responsible for working on disabled people and disabled bodies. And if you don't know what ableism is, then we're going to have a problem because anybody, anybody who comes to you and says that they have an issue, you're going to think that they're just downplaying it, you know, just because they're X person. And so for me, when I get into a car, like every piece of that reminds me of how ableist the entire endeavor of driving even is. And like, I don't think that able-bodied people really understand what that even means. Case mm -hmm. in point, uh, the uh, lane shifter, the device that you press to, to shift lanes to signal, um, that is the way it's built into a car. It assumes that you're using your feet and with the pedals to drive the car. I don't. And so as a person who uses a hand control for the first three months when driving my car, I couldn't figure out how to signal to switch lanes without slowing my car down because I the gas and the brake are on the same hand that I use to switch lanes. So I'd have to let go of the gas in order to switch to press up or down to move left or right. And that, of course, is slowing down the car. And anyone who's behind me is at risk of running into the back of me and all that kind of stuff, um, which I didn't want to do. But I couldn't figure out a better way to do it because of the way in which the car itself is built. And even the construction of the car is it's like it's built for like able-bodied people. And like it assumes that people get into a car a certain kind of way and get out a certain kind of way and use the buttons in the car in a very particular manner. So, you know, I just feel like that comes down to the fact that people with disabilities, with mobility disabilities and serious impairments don't drive. And the car companies assume that because we're not driving, you know, they're not going to waste their time. <laughs> you know, nobody's ever going to sit down and think about, you know, how can we design this better? What can we right. do to make this easier or smoother for as many people as possible? It's always the same design in the same way. I think the only thing that differs, of course, is by country, whether you're on the left or the right. 
And I still get confused when I'm in Britain <laughs> as a passenger getting on the left side of the car as a passenger because it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, this is very confusing. Um, but yeah, you know, I bought my car because I didn't want to use gasoline because I didn't, you know, to get in and out of my car is a hassle. And it takes around seven minutes to get in and out. And, you know, that is, I mean, I have to get on my knees on the ground and take my chair out the back. And, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. And so, you know, for me, it was about mitigating the amount of times I have to get in and out. Um, what I did not realize is that charge stations, what got me talking um, to Watricity and a bunch of other companies was that charge stations are themselves ridiculously inaccessible, more so than gas stations. Mm. And that comes from a direct result of being unregulated. And because they're not regulated and nobody's telling them what to do, they just kind of put the charge stations wherever they want and stick them in the ground wherever, um, which makes it very, very difficult for me. Um, and so that is a, that was an unforeseen challenge that I did not know about, but I still think it offsets the fact that I can fill up my car for $6. And actually, I filled it up the other day for $3.75, which was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. You know, and actually, I think it's probably a good time to recognize uh, you brought up Vitricity, and I would like to thank them, actually, for introducing uh, us to each other. And I'm sure uh, you are quite aware that Vitricity is working on enabling wireless power for, for cars like yours, right? So, and in the very near future, uh, you will not have to get out of your car to be able to recharge it. So it will, it will be cheaper and uh, definitely way easier. It's, uh, and, and you know, and it's a very powerful reminder, you know, some of this technology, right? You know, for a lot of people who are able-bodied, as you said, it's kind of a nice to have sometimes. But for people like you, it's an absolute necessity. It's a must-have. Right. And, you know, I feel a little bit guilty listening here to you, by the way, as uh, as a geek myself, you know, I, probably, uh, uh, you know, and on behalf of the entire industry, we haven't probably spent enough thinking about needs of differently able people and designing products, keeping that in mind. Yeah, I mean, what I, you know, what I always tell people is that, and I don't say this to blame anyone. I don't point fingers at any one particular person. Um, yeah. I'll, put, I'll point them at companies <laughs> like Google. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, but the point is, I think that that mindset, you know, you're not, I'd say you're not directly to blame yourself for that mindset because society suggests that, you know, you don't need to think about disability until you turn 60. You know, you, you don't, yeah. they, they promise you that you get zero to 60 years at least of a relatively normal life. Yes, in your 30s, and everybody's laughing about it on social media with memes. Yeah, you start getting back pain in your 30s. And yeah, things get harder in your 40s, but you can still live a relatively quote unquote normal life until you start hitting 50, 60, 70. And at that point, you know, then you can start to be like, okay, now I have to change things, shift things around, figure out what I'm going to do. But, you know, nobody wants to talk about, you know, the fact that <laughs> movie theaters could and should have captions available for everybody, um, you know, right. so anybody could come and see the movie, you know. They don't want to talk about the fact that our obsession with stairs <laughs> forever, you know, because they're beautiful architectural devices is simultaneously a, you know, barrier 
of entry for literally everybody who can't go up steps and further as you get older you don't even want to like that's the crazy part yeah. it's like we build things without conceptions of like what happens later and yeah. i don't know i've never understood that mainly because it's super um that's that's really uh what's the word um I wouldn't say disingenuous, but that's not exactly what I mean. It's disrespectful. That's what I was going to say. It's disrespectful yeah. to the millions of people who aren't 60, who have who have a disability before 60, who are like, I'm 22 and I want and I'm deaf and I want to go see the new Marvel movie. I should have the ability to do that. You know, I'm 36 and want to go to this Italian restaurant and I don't want to have to come up the cargo elevator, which is what I always have to do. Mm. Um, I will never forget having to go to a five-star French restaurant by the White House, and they had no way to get me in except for the, the cargo elevator with the flashing lights. It was something straight out of James Cameron's Alien. And I was, like, interrupting everybody's lunch in this super fancy place with everybody in the black tie affair and this giant cargo elevator that comes through, like, the middle of the restaurant. And I was just, like, apologizing because everybody was like, oh, my God, like, why is he here? And I was like, because they didn't think about this beforehand. Not my problem. So, you know... It, kind yeah. of, I just, it, it annoys me that it falls back on people like me to have to tell somebody, you know, when you built this restaurant, maybe you should have thought about ways for people to come and have lunch without it disrupting all of your service. Um, yeah. And I'm sure it's good business, by the way, right? You know, as you said, I, <laughs> as you pointed out, right, you know, the chances that all of us will become disabled at certain point in our lives uh, is probably certain, right? Is more likely than not. So it's it's good business. And even temporarily, I don't even mean permanently. Yeah. Think about it as like permanent disfigurement. I just mean that, you know, you play in basketball and you hoop a little too hard. Right. And, you know, and pull a muscle <laughs> in your leg and now you're temporarily disabled for six weeks. Like, you yeah. know, and all those beautiful steps that you have at your house become you know the arch nemesis yeah. to your leg it's that right. kind of stuff where i'm just like but y'all didn't think about that before you designed it yeah yeah so uh, so drc i wanted to also talk to you about right so we talked about electric cars but this charging problem and charging is literally not a fun experience even for able-bodied people right you know there are batteries around us all over the place there are electronics everywhere every piece of electronics where the battery needs to be charged. What can we as the industry do to help you and people like you to be able to have better experiences when it comes to charging all of the electronics? Right? I'm sure they're using laptops, phones, all other kinds of things. I mean, I think, you know, I, I wasn't going to throw shade, but I am going to throw shade. So <laughs> I, 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 I am for many, 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 many reasons upset with the Trump administration because the Obama administration was looking at this very issue. I heard that President Obama had dedicated something like $10 billion to R1, Research One institutions for the sole purpose of developing a better battery. He was like the first or, uh, university that can develop a hundred, what did he say? It was either a hundred charge or a hundred cycle battery or something like that, like the first people to be able to do that will get a billion dollars. And it, you know, they were racing to try to figure this out because as you said, everything electronic runs on a battery. It is going to be a common 
part of our world to the point where people will be carrying, just like they carry spare tires in their car, folks are gonna be carrying spare batteries, you know, in their car. It's it's definitely coming, um, but we're not ready. You know, the problem is that I feel like, I feel like America is a country of giant dreams that, you know, is very, very good at, at innovation and dreams, but we are terrible at follow through. And so, you know, it's like, we want to be able to do all these things, but we don't have the infrastructure and people don't care enough to want to put money and time into developing infrastructure. So to your question, you know, what would make things easier if people consider the infrastructure around how all that stuff works? You know, the idea that you only need a, a certain type of battery for a certain type of device is ridiculous. You know, as a wheelchair user, like I said, when I go on planes, people are arguing with me up and down about, well, you know, you can't bring your smart drive device, <laughs> the Bluetooth wheel. They don't want me to bring it on the plane because it has a lithium battery in it. And I was like, well, too bad. I have to have it. It, it actually propels my chair and I need it to move. And they, you know, it's like, and, you know, then you get into this catch 22 with the airline industry because they were like, well, what do we do? We can't say no, but we're also not supposed to have, you're not supposed to have this. And, you know, you get into this, like, literally Mexican standoff with the cabin crew. And, I mean, I'm going to win every time because all I have to do is, is pull the ADA. Like, you're not going to deny me the ability to move, so, like, let's go. Um, but I just feel like it's, it's indicative of the much larger issue that that kind of stuff has never been considered. Why are they not building compartments in planes, like one compartment in the back for lithium batteries? You know, so then you wouldn't have to have an argument about this because you know that somebody is going to bring it. You know, it's that kind of stuff. It's like developing technology around this concept of things that people have to have in order to live their life. Um, when the electronics company, I can't, PG&E, I think it was, when they had their power outage uh, during the pandemic in 2020, it was a massive news story on in California because due to their own selfishness, and when they shut down the power, folks was dying. Ventilators, people on ventilators who had batteries, they were dying because PG&E didn't even bother to tell them in advance that they were going to do it. And, you know, folks, like as you said, electrical power is literally keeping people alive in some cases. But again, I think the issue is that people think of this as a very niche issue. They think of it as a very small issue that does not affect them or people that they know. So, you know, they're like, whatever. <laughs> like that has nothing to do. Yeah. With yeah. So DRC, any, any thoughts? And, you know, you are such an educated person uh, on the kinds of things we can do in terms of even say wireless charging of your electronics and what kinds of technologies we can, the industry can work uh, that will make your life and life of people like you just a little bit easier. Well, I mean, like I said, I think, you know, having something that has a much bigger capacity, as I said, the Obama administration was working toward that. That was their primary goal to develop a battery that has a much larger charging capacity than the ones that we have now. I think, obviously, that would be the biggest thing. That's the thing that people could have because then obviously you can, everything you do can last so much longer. Um, right. But I, I think, you know, the idea of obviously wireless charging pads, like the ones that Y-Tricity are developing um, are great. Um, I, alongside that, you know, I think, um, you know, gas companies like Shell 
and mobile, uh, Exxon Mobile, should be having these discussions about, you know, how can we transform the landscape of our, you know, gas stations are literally everywhere. They're right. super common. As the face of transportation changes, so too should the infrastructure around it. <laughs> you know, this yeah. I've heard that California is testing. They have, uh, they're the only state in America that has level four chargers, which I've been told they've been putting into gas stations where a person can charge their car in three minutes. Um, theoretically, that sounds wonderful. It also makes me wonder about the extreme massive amounts of energy that, that must be traveling under the ground. I'm like, have we thought about this? Because, yeah. you know, it sounds wonderful in theory, but you know, as with everything, there are risks. So, you know, I, I just think for me, things like the ability to be able to charge longer, faster and better are, you know, the primary ways. That's the things that we should be thinking about. I don't think the U.S. is focused yeah. enough in that direction. But, you know, I, I would hope <laughs> everybody was joking that 2019 was the year of Blade Runner and... You know, 2019 was, I was like, this is nothing like Blade Runner. I don't see a single flying car. Where are my giant billboards? Like, you know, we were <laughs> promised a very specific type of future that has not come to pass. And so I just think we're, but I also think we're like super behind. You know, I just feel like, you know, the US yeah. has an idea and things that it wants to do, but we have to prepare. Yeah. So do you use like wireless charging, let's say for your uh, phones and headsets and laptops and things like mm -hmm. that? And any thoughts on that technology? I mean, I think well, I mean, wireless charging is is great. Uh, I think I guess <laughs> for me, the concern is, you know, how it's being set up. You know, I, I always have to think about it in a in a myriad of different ways. So. I think that people think about it in a very particular kind of way. Like, this is very easy to me. So, you know, it's like if you put something on the table and you say, plug in something and put something on top, that makes sense to me. But would that make sense to a person with Down syndrome? You know, it's like, are you, are you creating your products with all types of disabilities in mind, as opposed to just the standard person, you know, where we take, uh, uh, so in the autistic community, they call it neuro neurodivergence is a person who is autistic um, mm -hmm. or even not even autistic, a person who just thinks differently. Whereas they say for the rest of us, they call us neurotypical. So like, you know, I feel like products and product design is very neurotypical. It, it is it's thought of in a way that like, oh, everybody does it like this. Everybody assumes that if they have a wireless charge pad, you just put it in one place and then, you know, you will know how to make this work. Or, you know, you can read the directions that we right. have in a way that's very specific. But I, you know, I'm up here arguing like, you could make this better. You could design yeah. this better. You could design this easier, uh, right. you know, with less um, issue on, you know, things that might confuse people and, you know, things that might make it difficult. And it's not even about, quote unquote, just disabled people, elderly people, too. Yeah. You know, as folks yeah. get older, my parents are already starting to be like, what is this button? How does this work? What do we do? And they're not that old. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I'm like, it's not just about one type of person. It's kind of like just thinking about it in a wider lens than what we already do. Yeah, no, I get it. And I think what you're saying, right, is like even the wireless charging we have today, 
it's a very precise place you have to put your phone that may be, let's say, or your electronics, which may be challenging for people, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, with limited motor skills. Right, I was saying in our previous conversation that before they had wireless pads, you know, they used to use those cradles, um, but that requires a certain type of dexterity that you need a certain type of dexterity to be able to m maneuver that well. And, you know, obviously the result of that, the, the evolution of that was the wireless pad, um, which doesn't have any kind of cradle function. Um, but as you said, you know, it does still require a very specific, precise placement. And, you know, there are places that you have to put it. Yeah, yeah, no, so definitely. And look, I, I think the cords we, that we still have left are the, the cords that we need for charging. Right, that that's what we have left in our lives, and I think we need to get rid of them somehow. Uh, and a better wireless charging experience, as you said, which everybody can use and enjoy, is probably what we all need to deliver. Right, and I think that's probably the challenge. I hear you. I mean, as a wheelchair us, user, I have break, broken every cord that I've ever owned, and right. people don't understand that. <laughs> like, I'll just be on my yeah. computer, and then the cord will fall down, and it'll get caught up in my wheels, and then snap. Right. <laughs> and I'm out of $100 just that fast. Yeah, yeah. So actually, I'm just thinking, right? So, you know, even wireless charging for your wheelchair would be an awesome uh, it would. feature to have, right? And by the way, you brought up something which I didn't even appreciate enough, right? You know, so if you're using a piece of electronics sitting in your chair, you start moving, there goes not just one cord, but probably a few other cords with uh, as well, right? And But I mean, like I said, I the think... Cost yeah, I think people think of wired charging as like a solitary, sedentary activity where you're sitting in one place doing one thing. And, you know, as a wheelchair user, that's kind of true and kind of not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, but again, it's just, it's just one of those things where, you know, they build products for the larger majority without thinking of the fact that any of those people in the larger majority can also end up in my position like tomorrow. <laughs> and, yeah, then yeah, like, yeah. and then what are you going to do when you're constantly shelling out hundreds of dollars for power cords because you keep breaking them? Yeah, no, thank you, DRC, for sharing a lot of your experiences and wisdom and opening, honestly, the eyes of not just me, but all of our audience about the challenges uh, that differently able people face and, and how we need to all of us need to be cognizant of that and see how we can serve you better, right? Do you want to have a last word? Do you want to talk to the community? Do you have a challenge for the community of wish that you would like to share? Uh, yeah, I mean, no, the only thing I, I would say is that, you know, go out of your way to invite disabled people into the conversation as you're building products. Like don't let disability be the afterthought that comes in on the back end um, because I think, the technology, the technology division is particularly bad at that. Uh, you know, I feel like everybody has good intentions in the beginning. And of course, they want to involve people. But I feel like, you know, they involve people too late. And, you know, I don't even say this from a product standpoint, I mean it from even the educational side, it's like, we are pushing STEM and science and technology classes, but you don't, there are very few people with disabilities that are in college. <laughs> like, the stati like statistically, we're talking 10% of bachelor's yeah. degree seekers, 1% of graduate, uh, you know, earners. And, uh, you know, it gets infinitesimal as you get beyond graduate school. So, you know, the point is, these are the people 
you know, you go looking for graduates and things like that to come into your technology departments and, you know, but when you don't have enough candidates, then, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, then that forces you to have to scramble to fix everything on, you know, on the other side or hire consultants when all of that could have been avoided. Yeah. You know, if you went looking, you know, very intentionally for people with disabilities from the get go, you know, to ask our opinion, to make sure that we're a part of the product and that, you know, what you're designing is for the widest possible group of people from the beginning. No, thank you. Uh, thank you. And I think I, I would definitely love to stay in touch with you, DRC, if that's okay. And, you know, best of luck uh, in completing your PhD. And I'm sure you. we'll definitely be talking uh, in the future. And uh, you got so much to share honestly, right? You know, for the entire technical community, there's a lot you can share. I'm sure we will uh, see what we can do to bring you and the voices of people like you into all of the work we do. So thank you so much. Best thank of luck you. with I everything. Thank you.